Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries Unity in Christ program. If this is your first time listening, my name is Christine Kim, and I am the host of this program. A few weeks ago, I spoke about a man named John Wycliffe who translated the first Latin Bible into English in the 1300s. John Wycliffe had every desire to make sure the word was rightfully delivered to the people of England, the clergies and priests, and to the church who was becoming more and more corrupt. As there was only one Latin Bible, which no one knew how to read and understand, at the time the people relied on the false and unbiblical teachings that the church imposed. Translating the Bible was strictly prohibited by the Catholic Church and for anyone who did, faced severe consequences. However, John Wycliffe was confident that all believers should read the Bible and although his life may have been at stake, he translated it to provide everyone an opportunity to read it. His burning passion for the Gospel not only led him to translate the Bible into English, but it led many people who were able to read the English Bible to have a growing desire to know Christ. However, Wycliffe's Bible was secretly made and not many were available. And as time went, the opportunity for people to read this started to decrease. And eventually, the Bibles were all founded and placed into the hands of the bishops, clergy, and priests and were confiscated. It was as if all of Wycliffe's efforts went missing and was nowhere to be found. During this time in England, the Roman Church held the laws of the Pope higher than those of God's. More than anything else, these laws and words of the Pope were greatly emphasized and taught, therefore giving much more power to the Pope. For the people who were able to read the Latin Bible did not want to be caught in crimes of translating to English because they were afraid their power and authorities would be taken away and therefore did not pursue to translate it to English. In fact, people who were able to read the Latin Bible were people who already held power and did not accept or acknowledge that translating the Bible was a good act. At the time, the laws were very strict and severe. There were people who were burnt at stake for teaching their own children in English the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, and the Apostles' Creed. The laws of this nation and church were killing many sincere Christians and were bringing great oppression for people who desired to live by the word. But during this time, there was someone who was a strong advocate of reading the translated English Bible. During the early 1500s, there was a man named William Tyndale who hoped that all Christians would be able to freely read the Bible, and today I'd like to share with our listeners about him. We'll come back to share more after our first song. Once and for all, the Father's love. He is the light in the darkness, who took on flesh and took our place. The weight of the world on His shoulders. The weight of the world on His shoulders.
Tyndale was born in 1494 in a town called Gloucestershire of England to a family of farmers. In 1515, he received his Master's of Arts from Oxford University, which led him to start studying theology. He was a very gifted linguist, and over a course of many years, became fluent in French, Greek, Hebrew, German, Italian, Latin, and Spanish. A few years later, he went to the University of Cambridge and began to study and research about religious reformers. William Tyndale greatly enjoyed reading the Bible, and came to the realization that there was a dispute between the message delivered by the Bible itself and of the clergymen of the church. This is when he begins to really research deeply into the Bible and to find out what it really was that God was trying to deliver to the people. And through this, he begins to experience the Word and experience God. He could not be still at this grace he was receiving, and decided that he wanted to share this good news. He no longer lived his life as a researcher, but lived his life as an evangelist all around England and Europe. And as he was spreading the gospel, the more he evangelized, the more he began to find out that there were not many people who have read the Bible or knew the Word correctly. And this was what determined him to publish Bibles in their native language. He hoped that all Christians would be able to read the Bible freely, and they would be able to decipher between right and wrong. At the time, it was completely prohibited to translate the Bible, but William Tyndale announced that he would publish the Latin Bible into English. I can't even imagine how serious the oppositions were against him. Of course, this was something that was not going to be allowed. However, Tyndale undauntedly pushes forth with his actions. When the Bible was first translated, there were many resources provided. People provided their homes, food, and books. 
However, since Tyndale announced that he was going to be doing this, the clergymen and the bishops became stricter in making sure this was prohibited and even put great pressure on people to prevent them from helping him. Although the situation only becomes worse, and it becomes completely prohibited to translate anything in England, Tyndale therefore leaves England and goes to Hamburg. William Tyndale does not let this stop him. He travels from place to place, and eventually, in 1526, he completed his translation and 6,000 copies were finally published. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty Early in the morning Our song shall rise to Thee Merciful and mighty God in three persons Blessed Trinity
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Francis Chan of Cornerstone Church. Today's topic is Freedom Found in Faith, Part 2, based on the scriptures of Hebrews 11. I hope you have a blessed time as you join Pastor Francis. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Man, this is stuff that God's been teaching me this last week and I just had to share it this week. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. He says this, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. Other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. The writer of Hebrews says, hey, remember those early days? Remember the earlier days? Right after you received the light, right after you were enlightened, right after you, for the first time in your life, you understood. You go, wow, so I, I, there's this God up there, and I've offended him, and, you, and your eyes were opened. I remember that? You just realized, wow, I've done a lot of things that he hates, and I have to face him one day. Then at some point, you were enlightened. You saw that God sent his son to die for all of those crimes that he already paid the punishment for. And you thought, what? So I can be completely free? I can stand before this God forgiven? I can one day just just enter heaven because of what Jesus did? And he goes, remember when you got it and you understood it? And remember some of the crazy things you did? You remember how, how you would speak up and suddenly you, 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 some of your friends, you realize, wow, they don't know this Jesus. If they die, they're going to have to face his punishment. And I need to let my friends know that they can be forgiven. And maybe you're a little fanatic about it. And you went out and you started telling people and it says you were even publicly insulted and persecuted. And people have called you a Jesus freak. Or like, what happened to him? What happened to her? I mean, I remember for me. I remember when I was in high school and, and, and I, I came to the light. I understood, wow, I can be forgiven. I started thinking about my buddies, some of my best friends who didn't know Jesus. And it was like, okay, i got, I got to let them know this. And people are like, man, look at that guy. He's just totally flipped. And I remember calling all my friends in my junior year, calling, you know, looking through the yearbook, calling all the seniors that were graduating that I knew, thinking, man, hey, dude, I don't know if I'll ever see you again. you got to understand something, man. You gotta understand, I, I want you in heaven with me. Here's, remember those early days when, when you first got it and you started telling people because you were concerned and then you started receiving some insults, some persecution? Can you think back to that? Or maybe some of you are going, man, I, I never really lived that way. Maybe, maybe I never really got it. He was telling these people, he goes, remember when people even confiscated your property? Because the persecution back then was so bad, people would just take stuff from them. As, as believers, they were just ostracized and, and, and kicked out of their homes and everything else. And he goes, remember how when that happened, you, uh, you joyfully accepted it and said, fine, take my house. I don't care. I've got Jesus. You're just crazy. I, I was talking to a guy a couple of weeks ago in our church who said, man, he's running a big successful business now and he said, man, I got saved in the Jesus movement. You know, back in the 60s, 70s. He goes, I had nothing. 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 We just walked around telling people about Jesus. We didn't care that we didn't have anything. He goes, then I got involved in this business and started building this business for myself and done real well for myself. And 
Now I'm looking at my life and going, you know what, I want to go back. I want to get back to that. Back to those days where I had nothing and I didn't care about having nothing because I was just so in love with Jesus. Was there ever a point in your life where you lived that way and you thought that way and you didn't care about stuff and your security was in Jesus alone and you were happy? People even insulted you for how much you talked about this Jesus. He goes on in verse 35 and he says, So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you'll receive what he's promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. He says, don't throw away that confidence, that confidence, that faith where you say, man, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to go for it. Man, and I know God will take care of me because the Bible promises if I seek his kingdom first, all the other stuff, all the security will be given to me. He promises me I'll have something to eat. He promises me I'll be taken care of as long as I seek his kingdom first. He goes, man, that confidence you once had about it's all about Jesus. He goes, don't lose that. Don't throw that away. You're going to be rewarded for it. Hold on until the end. Hold on until Christ returns. And then he says these verses. I'm going to put them up on the screen in verse 38 of Hebrews 10. He says, but my righteous one, my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. See, he's addressing the person that shrinks back. He goes, the righteous one, that my righteous one, my righteous people, he says, they're going to live by faith. Faith. Are you living by faith right now? We are doing things that make absolutely no sense outside of God, outside of heaven. You're doing things because you are so sure there's a heaven. And this, this, this earth here is not your home. And you're banking on, man, I've put all my eggs in one basket. There better be a heaven. He goes, that's the way my righteous one lives. He goes, but the ones who shrink back, the word shrink back means to cower. You're no longer confident. Like, you know what? God's going to take care of me. I am just going to go and I'm going to serve him and seek it. He goes, but then sometimes we shrink back. He goes, if you shrink back, he goes, one, I will not be pleased with you. God says that. If you're not living by faith, if you're not sure and confident about God's promises, and you're shrinking back and cowering, God says he's not pleased with you. He goes, but we, we're not like that, right? He says, we're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. That's another downside of shrinking back. You get destroyed. Bummer. But we're of those who believe and are saved. Hey, what are you right now? Think about it. Are you one that has kind of shrunk back and cowered? Or your person is still as confident today as you were in the day you were saved when you first saw the light. See, because it's very easy to shrink back and other church-going people will influence you and try to get you to shrink back. They'll come to a guy like Mike and say, hey, Mike, you know, are you sure you want to do this? I mean, think about it. You've got a good job. You, you're, 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 you're saving up for retirement. I mean, your second kid is on the way. I mean, that just, that just seems kind of foolish to, to get in a little plane out in the jungle 
then how do, you, how do you know you're going to be safe out there? How do you know when this is all done? I mean, how long can you do this for? And how do you know if you're going to have enough money saved up at that point? You know, when, when you're 80, you may not survive. I mean, you better start thinking about that. You better start thinking about your kids and their education and everything else. Don't go doing this faith thing. Oh, God will take care of them. Okay, God helps those who help themselves. We all know that verse. You know, come on, you know, are you sure you want to do this? I mean, how do you know that your plane's not going to go down? How do you know you're not going to end up in some little tribe of headhunters and you're dropping the guy off and, and you're going to get killed? I mean, how do you know your buddy Corey, your little stoner friend Corey, you know, maybe he's working on your plane. You know, maybe he's the mechanic, and how do you know? He may have a relapse and forget to put something in there. And, and it's like, oh, Corey, you know, how do you know? Man, why don't you just play it safe? Come on, you know you can set your life up to where even if there's no God, you're safe. Because you've made a life for yourself. And pretty soon we start hearing this logic from church-going people who tell us, come on, man. And you guys, we shrink back. And yet, the thing I'm learning so much about is God just loves, 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 loves faith. Ah, do you know how much God loves faith? He goes, my righteous one will live by faith. He, he wants us to have the faith like a little child that just goes, I'm not worried. Dad's got it taken care of. Remember when you used to think that way? God can do anything. God will protect. And then suddenly, these people start getting in your head. These messages get in your head of how wise you can be and how you can provide a life for yourself and set yourself up just in case God doesn't come through. Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Hebrews 11, without faith. It's impossible to please God. Impossible, right? See, I, I, was, I was studying that Hebrews 11 because, and that's what got me to Hebrews 10, to, to looking at, you know, and that's what we just looked at. But you guys, this is what I really want to get across. Last weekend, I'm on my flight to Columbus, and uh, I'm just looking at Hebrews 11. I was talking to Jim about it, worship leader, just about faith. And I realized Rahab... Is her Rahab? She's always bugged me. She is that prostitute in the Old Testament who, when the spies came from Israel to check out the land, she hid them in her house. And then she lied to these people that came and said, hey, where are those spies? She goes, I don't know. Come on, they're in your house. They're not in my house. Why would I take them in? They probably went that way. And so the guards leave. And she did a great thing of protecting God's servants. But she lied. And so it always bugged me that God never confronted her on her lying. And then I'm reading Hebrews 11. I go, and then he puts her in Hebrews 11. The lying prostitute. And it bugged me because it's like, well, I don't mind that she did something by faith, but I wish he would confront the lying because she absolutely told a lie. And, you know, and I've been to seminary. In seminary, you learn how to figure out what's wrong with everyone else. And, and every and you pick everything apart and you go, man, there was a fault here. There was a fault. Why does he not? Why does he not nail it? And it bugged me, bugged me, bugged me, bugged me until last weekend. Suddenly I began to like Rahab because I realized, wow, what a picture that is. God values faith so much. And here's a woman who she was new to her faith. She didn't know. She just she's just trying to do something for the kingdom, right? 
she just thought, I gotta protect these, these, these are God's servants here. And so, uh, they're not here. They went over there. And she just in her heart was trying to do something for God. And, 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 and I, you know, critical me wants to find, yeah, but she messed up there. That's not what God did. God doesn't even mention that. Did she lie? Yes, she lied. Should her yes have been, yeah, her yes should have been yes. She should have been absolutely truthful. God would have fixed it somehow. But she just did the best with what she could do. I mean, I look at the story of Samson. 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 You talk about loser. He made it. He made it into Hebrews 11. I mean, is there anyone stupider in the Bible? I mean, don't you read the story of Samson and you go, okay, I know some dumb people, but you take the cake. I, I mean, how many times are you going to be fooled by this woman? You know, it's like, well, go ahead, braid my hair. You remember that, just that whole story? And then at the end, just because he goes, okay, I believe I can knock down these columns, you're going to make it into Hebrews 11? But again, it reminded me, that's how much God values faith. He loves that faith. And it was like this, this epiphany of, you know what? We're all going to screw up. We're all going to make mistakes. Who am I to think that I'm going to figure out this perfect plan? I'm going to wait till I'm a godly enough, mature enough man to where I can live by faith without messing up. And then I'm going to carry out somehow God's will without making any mistakes, without sinning in the process. No, none of us are going to pull that off. All God wants to see is faith. He just wants to see that you trust him and you believe in him. And so you're just going to go do something out of faith. You're not going to sit there and go, well, I wonder if I should do this. I wonder if I should. You're just going to go in faith. You're going to try something. And, and that whole verse, okay, uh, without faith, it's impossible to please God. I started wondering, is the opposite of that verse true? Think with me. Could it be true that with faith, it's impossible to displease God? I'm not saying it's scripture. I'm just saying, man, it sure seems that way. That if I have faith in God and I am just doing something, best to my knowledge, I am just trying to serve God and do something for him by faith, I can't fail. I can't screw up. Sure, I'm going to sin in the process, but God just wants to see that faith. And just to believe and to go after something. By faith, I'm going to maybe go to Africa. No, God didn't want me to go there. Remember the Apostle Paul, how sometimes he would just think, okay, I'm going to go there, and God diverts him somewhere else? I love this verse in, in Chronicles. Look at this. This is Solomon saying, My father David had it in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, Because it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well to have this in your heart. Nevertheless, you're not the one to build the temple. But your son, who is your own flesh and blood, he's the one who will build the temple for my name. I love that verse. He says, David, you thought, remember David thought, okay, I'm going to build a temple in the name of the Lord. I'm going to build this thing. And God, what does God say? He goes, well, you know what? You had it in your heart. And he says, you did well to have it in your heart. He goes, David, you know what? I'm glad you're thinking that way. You did so well. I'm so... I'm just so happy that you would think, I'm going to build a temple for the name of the Lord. He goes, now that's not my plan. You're not going to do it. Your son Solomon will do it. Nevertheless, you did well to have it in your heart. I love that. David was heading the wrong direction. God goes, yeah, that's not wasn't my plan, but you did well to have it in your heart. It's just comforting to me. I just go, you know what, God's just happy that I'm trying stuff in his name. 
And, and it just helped me because, you know, so often I get freaked out and I get paralyzed by this idea of perfection. Like somehow if I haven't nailed and figured out God's perfect plan, that he's going to be disappointed in me. And I realized, you know what? He's glad that I have it in my heart to just try something in his name. Remember last year when I, I tried to start a church in the inner city? And I, I started a church planting class with uh, some of the EBC students. And it's like, hey, let's go in the inner city every week. You know, let's just go three hours a week. We'll just play ball with you and we'll start a church three hours a week. You know, we'll, we'll just we'll witness, we'll do everything. And so I took a group of college students and we just went in the inner city every week and just hung out with these people, shared the gospel with them. And we thought we were going to create a church through them and plant a church there in the inner city. It never took off. But I don't think God's gone, plant just you idiots. What you do that for? He just goes, yeah, that's good. You had it in your heart. It's not, you're not going to be able to plant a church, but that's cute. And I, I love that you try. Remember when we tried to do that North Campus at the Boys and Girls Club? It's like, man, we're running out of space here. It's getting too crowded. Let's, I'll just go back and forth. North. And, and all these people put all this time and energy, and it didn't work. You think God's mad at us for trying that? Remember when we tried to do home church? And we thought this thing was going to work. We thought we were starting a movement. And pretty soon you guys started getting in homes and you didn't like each other's kids. And you're like, eh, I'm just going back to the church. And, and it all fell apart. It's just so freeing now because I go, you know what? God's not mad at me for that. We're, we're trying to build an outdoor amphitheater. We're thinking, you know what? We could save $20 million by sitting outside. And we could give those millions of dollars to people who are poor. People who are the least of these, that, that, that are literally Jesus, he says. And, and, and so right now, I'm in the middle of meeting with county supervisors. This is a big week. Meet with two, you know, big county supervisor people to try to convince them of this plan. I don't know if it's going to work. We're trying to give away half of our money and everything else, and we may end up having to cut all our staff to, to reach that. And maybe it was a big, I don't know. I just figure if Jesus is starving, we've got to do something. And I just know that at the end, God's not going to go, Francis, what were you thinking? He's going to go, man, I just love the way you just try to do something. You live by faith. You see, I have in my back pocket, there's a wallet that, uh, I don't, I don't carry a wallet. This is the first time I've used it. My daughter gave it to me about a year ago. Um, my second daughter. And, uh, saved up a bunch of money and bought this little wallet for me, thinking, Dad doesn't have a wallet. There's a reason I don't have a wallet. I don't like wallets. I don't like having some in my back pocket. I just stick a credit card and a few dollars in my front pocket, and I'm good to go. And she gives me this wallet, saved up. I think it was Father's Day or something last year. And so when I saw the wallet, I said, what a waste of money. You idiot. You really think I did that? No, I went, no way, a wallet. Come here, baby. That's awesome. You saved up and you bought daddy a wallet, which I'll never use, you know. You guys, what kind of father do you think we have in heaven? It's just so freeing to think, you know what? He just wants to see me try something, do something because of my love for him. And as I do that and I have it in my heart, God, I'm just trying to please you somehow. I'm not smart enough to know the perfect plan. I'm not godly enough. It's not sin in the process. I may be like Rahab and just try and not think and sin along the way. I may be Samson and be fooled. I may be David and start heading down the wrong path. I may be Paul heading in the wrong direction. And God goes, I don't care. This is great that you're living by faith. 
There's a fire that burns inside A fire that burns inside Nothing can stop us We'll be running through the night With a fire that burns inside A fire that burns inside We are the free, the freedom generation Singing of mercy You are the one who set us all in motion can find all the programs of Heart and Soul on podcast. You can easily play this week's or past week's programs, or you can even download them to your device just in a few minutes. Try to search for Heart and Soul at your iTunes store now. There are people who gave up their lives in honor of Christ 
who gave us our everlasting life. Continued is a story of the many people who endured their life with faith, titled The Voice of the Martyrs. Hello listeners, this is Brian Winston with The Voice of the Martyrs. The word compromise is defined as an agreement or settlement of a dispute that is reached by each side making concessions. The word compromise therefore holds neither a positive or negative connotation. It simply means two parties consult, negotiate, and reach an agreement. In fact, it's okay to make a compromise for something that is non-essential. For example, whether to have Sunday service at 10.30 a.m. or at 11. This could be consulted and compromised to have the largest number of people attend the service. Making a compromise to build the body of Christ as one is also encouraged in church gatherings. Yet, what if it comes to the truth? Let's talk about something essential or fundamental. Would it be okay if we compromise elements of truth? Is it okay for Christians to compromise with lies for their own benefit or worldly comfort? Jesus did not belong to this world. The world hated Jesus Christ and crucified him on the cross. Followers of Jesus, therefore, do not belong to this world, and the world hates Christians. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore, the world hates you, as stated by Jesus in John chapter 15, verse 19. The world always demands us to give up the cross as if the world will provide us everything we need once we do. What will you choose when you encounter temptation? Less than a decade ago, there were people who refused to compromise their pursuit of Jesus Christ in India. On August 24, 2008, we saw a horrendous riot in the state of Odisha, located in northwest India. A Hindu leader and four other Hindus had been murdered the day before, and the Hindu community began to blame it on Christians. This sparked Hindus' indiscriminate attack on the Christian community. A riot began that burnt down 350 villages, destroying 252 churches and killing 120 Christians. 54,000 Christians lost their homes in one night. Later, it was confirmed that the real culprits were Chinese communists who had murdered the five Hindu leaders. Yet, the persecution on Christians continued until September 20th of that same year. The rebels detained Christians and murdered them on the spot if they refused to convert to Hinduism. Many female Christians became the victims of gang rape. Others were thrown into flames to die. However, such torture and fear could not force any of the more than 120 Christians to convert to Hinduism. Instead, they chose to die for their faith. They knew that even if the rebels could take their life, they could not take their soul. The world was not worthy of these people who were firm in their faith.
countless Christians lost their home and were detained in prison camp in Odisha. Radical Hindus constantly came to the camp and forced them to convert to Hinduism. The majority of Christians, however, kept their faith till the end. Even in the U.S., we sense the precursors of persecution of Christians. The court decisions supporting the provision of services to gay couples are being used to arrest those who refuse to do so. While persecution may take many different forms, there is only one common goal, to make us stop following Jesus Christ. But we cannot compromise for our worldly benefits. We cannot save our temporary life on earth without following the one who gave us eternal life. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus as it is written in Revelation chapter 14, verse 12. The time of endurance is approaching. I pray that all of us keep our faith in Jesus Christ and God's commandments so that the world is no longer worthy of us. This concludes this week's episode of The Voice of the Martyrs. Thank you for listening, and God bless.
William Tyndale traveled to many different cities in Germany to finally translate and publish an English Bible. But the issue was sending these copies to England. He tried sending them in grain in clothes sacks and inside boxes. His plan succeeded, and thousands of Bibles were able to be sold in England. As soon as the clergymen and bishops found out, they began to investigate all goods that came into the country and burn them or would purchase the Bibles themselves to get rid of them. But mysteriously, the number of copies of the English Bible was steadily increasing. As time went on, the number of imported Bibles were increasing as well as the number sold. The reason was that as the English clergymen were buying these Bibles in masses, that brought in more revenue for William Tyndale, and he at the same time produced more and more Bibles. At one point in time, the number of Bibles being imported into England were too much for the clergyman and bishop to do anything about them anymore. And from this point on, the people of England were able to easily access and purchase Bibles written in their own language, which led to an amazing revival of the church. However, William Tyndale was eventually caught for translating the Bible and spent a year and six months in prison, and eventually, at the age of 42, was condemned to be burned to death. Two years after his death, in 1538, the churches were supplied with English Bibles, and the government passed laws for English Bibles to be used. Through William Tyndale's experience of the Word, in which he experiences God's love, he was sustained so greatly by that love in which he could not sit still about it. As he realizes and experiences this vast love, he has a desire and a burning passion to deliver these great news to others. His life was dedicated for Christ and for Christ only. It is very crucial and important to know God's Word. Through His Word, we are able to experience His true love and grace and are able to witness countless people whose lives have changed by their meeting of Christ. Once Christ comes to meet us, our lives begin to change. This is what happened when William Tyndale worked so hard to translate the Bible. People began to read it and met Christ, and as their lives began to change, others were able to witness Jesus Christ through them. I hope this next week we may stay close to the Word, and as we read the Bible, we will be able to continuously experience God's love. We will now wrap up Unity in Christ. Thank you for listening as it has been my pleasure. I hope to see you this time again next week, and God bless. Grace that flows like a river Washing over me Found of Thank you.
Thank you. 